uh, art teaches you really to sit back, observe, and think before you react. And I think that's really important because, once again, it is all about the end user and, and what their requirements are. A good workspace should not suggest that people should be working differently. A good workspace should be observing patterns of human behavior and designing to those patterns in a way that is forward-leaning. And that's true of the technology we use as well. Hi, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is a production from the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the ever-evolving digital workplace industry. It does so through benchmarking, membership and boutique consulting services. And if you want more information about DWG, just go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. Now, the show today is focusing on a topic that's close to everybody's heart and we've all got an opinion about. It's the connected workplace. It's the physical changes that are happening in the workplace environments and kind of the relationship between the physical and digital in work. And I've got two, I think, very nicely complimentary guests on the show today who both bring a lot of expertise and experience in shaping and thinking about the physical environments and how they relate to the technology environments. My first guest is Karen Gill. Karen is the Vice President for Workplace Strategy at financial services company Fidelity. She was previously in a workplace strategy role at Hewlett-Packard, and she is responsible for really all of the shape of the workplaces in Fidelity today. Her passion is about helping create great physical spaces and virtual spaces that foster the desired culture of an organisation. She takes a very human-centric view and has worked across lots of different countries and continents and has got some great views on what make for great physical environments and some of the places where you can find them. And just to be clear, the views expressed by Karen are her own personal views and not the views of fidelity. My other guest is somebody I've known for quite a while, Ryan Anderson. Ryan is a director of product and portfolio strategy for Herman Miller. Who are Herman Miller? Who is Herman Miller? Well, to describe them as a furniture company really doesn't do them justice. They're a company that for decades have been shaping the physical environments of work and really making massive influence on that. Uh, Ryan's got a fascinating role inside Herman Miller. He straddles the line between the technology world and furniture. That's how he describes it. And he really thinks about some of the aspects of how we work, where we work and what it means. So this was a really great conversation and we found out why the places where some of the best workplaces are is in are in India and in Australia 
Um, Australia didn't surprise me that much. India really did. And it makes me really want to go there and see what they're doing. So, without further ado, I give you Karen Gill and Ryan Anderson. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Paul. And um, I'm kind of fascinated looking through your um, kind of biography, Karen, and and the things that you've got up to um, in your uh, career, um, your period at at Hewlett-Packard and what you've been doing in your time um, at Fidelity. But can we just start by... Um, maybe just from your work at Hewlett Packard and now Fidelity, what, what would you say the role is of the of the physical workplace in in today's world of work? Because it's changed so much over the last few decades. What what place does the physical workplace play in work today? Would you say? I can't agree with you more, Paul. And I, I just think that the physical workplace is morphing and. It really does have to promote and foster the vision of the organization and the preferred culture of the organization. And maybe it's not the actual workplace itself, but that culture that really is prompting new designs and new ways of thinking about the work. Um, Today, our physical workplace really has to converge with the digital. You can't leave one behind at all. And with the digital uh, we're looking in our workspaces for those workspaces to actually respond to the employee's need and be a place where teams want to connect with each other, um, be it work-related or perhaps even just socially. Um, likewise, from a real estate point of view, and we can't forget about this, it has to be efficient. It has to be right-sized and utilized correctly and utilized at all. As you know, a lot of our workspaces today are utilized only 40 to 60% of the time. And so how can we promote a physical workplace where people want to gather and where we can provide a valuable end-user experience to them? I think those are the critical issues that we're facing. Mm. And, And in your role in charge of global work, place strategy at Fidelity. What's what's a typical project that you, you would work on? Just give me a sense of what your work involves. Yeah, and, and there are quite a lot of projects, um, but when you think about workplace strategy, you think about the overarching goals. Where do we want to go as an organization? How do we want to get there? And how does the physical as well as the digital work Place manifests itself to get to those goals. So one of the things that I really have to do, and, and one of the reasons why I went to Fidelity, is because they really do want me to scan the world, the best practices and the new research, really understand it and harness it, and understand what our businesses require to be successful, and then craft different workplace guidelines that combines all of this information into a customized approach that informs how we design our physical and digital workplaces. And that Mm. would go down to the projects, project by project. They have a consistent guideline, but that's not a prescription. It's a description of where our workplaces need to go and be designed towards. Sure. So so if I'm walking around with you, one of the Fidelity um, uh, kind of facilities that you're most proud of, 
what 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 is it that I would see that you that that bears bears your mark? Um. Well, I'm new to fidelity. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's only been a, a few months now, but all in all, um, you know, with HT and even with my work before that, um, it really is creating a vibrancy within our spaces and providing for a variety of different work uh, modes. So what we want to do is provide a variety and choice for, for our employees. So if I had to kind of pull out, you know, what are the places like, I want a place where if I want to think and be quiet and look at nature, I want to be able to go there. If I want a really vibrant place where I can have a cup of coffee and chit-chat with people and exchange knowledge, I want it to be able to go there. So it is providing those different variety and choice and, and then you know, making sure that the brand of the organization is well personified within these spaces too. Hmm. Okay. And you mentioned that, you know, one of your roles is to sort of scan the world around us and, and look for the best practices. Um, where are those best practices, would you say? Are they in a particular organization or are they in a particular region geographically? Or, 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 or what, what, where would you go for that? Yeah, good question. So, um, really, all over. I, I have the the fortunate ability to actually work with other workplace strategists within multi uh, uh, global organizations from around the world. Um, we don't just seek out North America ideas. We are looking towards EMEA. We are looking towards Asia Pacific. And we are using a lot of these collective uh, knowledge bases to to form our decisions. Um, we're also using real estate organizations as well as um, Herb Miller and, and furniture manufacturers, as well as architects, designers, and technologists. So, so it really is scanning the world for best practices and um, kind of keeping in mind the vision of the organization, where we want to go, and pulling out those best practices to help make it happen. Okay, that's 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 great. And um, Ryan, I mean, you and I have known each other for a while, and I think had a pretty fascinating kind of relationship over the last few years. Um, I mean, you're you're somebody who. Um, I suppose it's hard to describe what you do. So why don't, why don't you describe what you do? <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. And uh, I really enjoyed the relationship with Digital Workplace Group over the years. It's been fun to be in dialogue, and I've learned a great deal. I also have had the privilege of knowing Karen for nearly uh, a decade now. And um, we've had lots of great conversations about future of work and future of workplace as well. That's really my focus. Um, I've been with Herma Miller for five years. Uh, most of my work has focused on the intersection of technology and work and workplace. And uh, I'm carrying on a tradition at Herma Miller that dates back a long time. In fact, Herma Miller began our real exploration and research into technology and how it's impacting work back in the 60s. And when Stanford Research Institute showed the world the first personal computer at an event that is sometimes known as the mother of all demos, the mother <laughs> of all demonstrations, Herman Miller was there. Um, 
it wasn't me, of course. Uh, it was a person named Jack Kelly, who is uh, still in touch with us, who uh, partnered with Stanford to help create the first environment for personal computing. He also designed the first mouse pad for the very first mouse. And so that began a long tradition of staying close with leaders in the technology world, asking the question, how does technology impact work and eventually workplace with a particular emphasis on people, right? A real human-centered approach to research for an organization like Herman Miller that's known for human-centered design. Um, For the last year and a half, my focus has been almost exclusively on um, the Internet of Things and acting as the business lead for Herman Miller's uh, Smart Connected Workplace Solutions, um, which we're just beginning to talk a little more about, but you'll see more about in in the near future. Mm. And, and what is it about Herman Miller that that means an organization that's kind of rooted in my mind in the physical workplace and creating beautiful places for people to work and the, the, the you know, the, the furniture and the kind of infrastructure of that. What, what is it that makes Herman Miller think, you know, to, cl- to quote the jargon outside the box and start thinking about, so the, the, the first personal computer arrives and Herman Miller thinks about its setting, its situation. What, 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 what is it in the DNA of Herman Miller that allows the organization to do that? Well, for us, it's, it's a pretty critical part of our culture. And I can really trace it back, or we can trace it back to the late 20s and early 30s, 1930s, when the founder of the company, DJ Dupree, decided to um, take a very different approach to thinking about design. And instead of placing um, the product development and design in the hands of a group of designers inside the company, took a different approach, which was to investigate new ways of solving problems and to partner with creative design talent around the world. So as an example, we don't have an internal design studio. We're always using a more networked or agile approach to working with creative thinkers. And as a result, we don't tend to think about small evolutions to the things we already do. We, we like the provocations um, that we often experience in working with creatives. So we, we've had a history of firsts in the organization. You know, first ergonomic chair, Ergon, in 1976, the first modular approach to um, workstation uh, or uh, furniture design, uh, first LED lighting, that sort of thing. And when we talk about our business, Instead of talking about uh, you know product categories and typical vertical markets, we often say we're there to help people to work, learn, heal, and live, which is just another way of thinking about wherever people are doing those activities, we want to be. And the mm. current state of work is there are certainly some work activities that are free of technology, more contemplative kind of work, but the vast majority of things that people do in order to accomplish some form of work always includes some technological element and always some element of space. So we're not so concerned with, you know, is someone in a traditional office setting? We're concerned with what are people trying to do and what does it mean to try to help them do it in the future? Mm. And that's such a kind of liberating way to think. You're, you're, You're not trying to hold on to the office all the the constructs that we've got around us. You're trying to think about where works um, where works happening. And and Karen, I know you've got a background in in art and design. And, and when you're approaching, you know, when you're approaching the work at Hewlett Packard, 
um, uh, when you are approaching the projects at, at, at Fidelity. How do you start to bring that aesthetic and experience and, and, and the kind of beauty into the environments you want people to work in? Um, Paul, it has to be in a very, very meaningful way because you can have the most beautifully technically designed um, environment, but if it's not functional and, and pertinent for your individual employees and solving for those business needs, then it really doesn't mean a lot to them and it won't be successful. So a huge part of what I do around workplace strategy is also incorporating change management into the whole aspect of the design process. And that starts right up front by really, once again, understanding what the critical business needs are and really designing to help solve for those along with being you know, efficient and effective, because you can't forget about that if you're in real estate at all. Um, I've also had a background in technology as well as engineering and, and business, so combining it all is, is really important. But going back to the art portion of this, uh, art teaches you really to sit back, observe, and think before you react. And I think that's really important because, once again, it is all about the end user and, and what their requirements are. Yeah, I mean, and you've really kind of um, put your finger on the two sort of forces at play. Uh, uh, one of them's around kind of optimization of space and, as you call it, you know, the efficiency and utilization. And most times when I'm talking to organizations, they're, they're, there's a lot of there's a sort of hysteria around space utilization and and then there's the counter thing force which is all around what we want to experience and 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 how do you kind of balance those two um uh, kind of forces really um it really is all about just understanding it really is understanding where the organization wants to go because part of that is about the efficiencies and it's about their real estate portfolios and it's about using them in the correct manner. It's not about squishing people in. It's about providing what we talked about a little bit before, that variety and choice so people can work most effectively. Um, and if you And if you understand those two aspects of space design and you incorporate HR, IT, and all the other different components into it, you'll be successful with that change management program that helps people through that paradigm shift. You, you mm. really can be. And it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's trying to, when, when a building or a space works, it's really hard to put your finger on why. And a couple of things that come to mind for me, there was a, a book that I read probably about 20 years ago called The Timeless Way of Building by Christopher Alexander, who was a professor at a university in California. He's, he's, he's now died. But it's really, um, it's got little pictures in it and you can get it online. It's quite hard to come by, but um, um it's it really has little little snippets of streets in Paris and back corners of places and inside out spaces and why certain places feel so good. And uh, 
recently I, I had the pleasure to host a meeting at Adobe's kind of refashioned headquarters in San Jose. And and it's not that it's the most lavish um, space in the world. I mean, it's 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 certainly certainly not a, a building they've skimped on. But there's something about it, the the colours, the textures, etc., that just make you feel good. And I, I'm not sure. I mean, Ryan, what, what why is it that some places kind of come to life like that in in the modern workplaces and other places have all the things that you should think would work but but somehow don't <laughs> that's a good question there, there's a lot of factors that contribute to those spaces that you get into and you feel like they're authentic and they're well considered karen mentioned one of them which is um how aligned is the experience within the space with those things that are core to the culture of the organization i mean you should really Feel when you go into a space that you've immersed yourself in that culture, and it should be authentic. And um, I appreciate this dialogue we're having because I've, I've noticed over the years that both the um, the facilities and real estate world, as well as um, the technology world, can sometimes get very caught up in what's fashionable or um, current thinking about doing this or that, you know, in our world, it's been very much around open office. Uh, yeah. what, what's the right approach? I think in the technology world, things like, oh, what are the right collaborative solutions? Um, and uh, when you mentioned Christopher Alexander, it brought to my mind um, uh, his book, A Pattern Language, which is really, I think, one of those foundational pieces that, in essence, begins to ask the question, can't patterns of human behavior shape these solutions. Um, mm. In that book, it's really more around urban planning, but a, a good workspace should not suggest that people should be working differently. A good workspace should be observing patterns of human behavior and designing to those patterns in a way that is forward leaning. And that's true of the technology we use as well. So I personally get a little wary Anytime I see something that's claiming to be revolutionary uh, or slick or mm. um, completely unexpected, for me, the approaches that resonate are when, whether it's spatially or technologically, someone has taken the time, and it does take time and it does take reflection, to be able to say, we see patterns here. And we think these patterns are going to increase. And so here's an approach to trying to accommodate this in a way that is human-centered, intuitive, um, natural. And um, when there's a space, and we're fortunate to not only call Fidelity a, company, a customer, but also Adobe, when we see spaces like that, they are usually very well-informed. Um, and there's been rich dialogue between internal functions beyond facilities, uh, real estate, HR, IT, and um, the organizations landed on an approach that both suits their culture and is as informed as it can be around the way they think people are going to behave in the future. Hmm. And and Karen, what's your sort of feeling? Because that you know, I suppose we're still in a period where the digital workplace and the physical workplace are considered um, somewhat separate. I think there's a lot of effort uh, happening to try and integrate these two two elements. Um, but but where where do you feel we're up to on that um, on that journey? Um, I, I don't think we really need to be. I, I really don't think we are where we need to be. But I think that both IT and the physical workplace is really working hard 
to get there. Um, and everything I do, and, and that's really what I can speak to, I include technology into the thinking behind where we're going to go and, and how we're going to design the spaces according to the people's needs. And I also include HR in that because there are policy changes, there are business processes that have to be looked at in order for people to work the way they need to work today. So it's, it's design is not standalone anymore. Workplace strategy is not just about the physical. It really is about the uh, digital as well as uh, changing business processes. And I can't agree with Ryan Moore that it is about understanding the patterns. It's understanding that and where they need to be and formulating that in a plan that can provide for continual change as well. Mm. Yeah, and um, one of the things I've got I've got to ask you, and it's a bit of a an unfair question, but I I just find when we start talking about these these uh, issues of aesthetics, or or kind of what are the what are the examples of specific buildings that you've you've each been to? That you really thought, my God, this is this is just an incredible space to work in. I, I've been to a variety of uh, facilities that really resonate with me, and most of them are customers uh, of ours. Um, and I'm always surprised that they rarely they rarely fit some of the stereotypes you might have about industry or geography. It usually is a reflection of the process and the mindset that went into creating those facilities. Um, There are a few trends, and I won't get too into the spatial design trends, um, that I think are are particularly impactful. There's been more and more talk about something known as biophilic design. Karen alluded to it earlier, which is what is the appropriate way of, of, of blurring um, the outdoors and the indoors? How do you, mm. uh, when you're inside a facility, um, feel as though you're not um, cut off from things of beauty and things that are more organic? Um and I, too, uh, really appreciate spaces that provide a very high degree of variety and choice. There's an increasing consumerization of the workplace. I know consumerization has been an important topic in IT circles for years. But as people uh, have more and more autonomy through the mobile technologies that they use to choose where they might do a given task or where they might spend an afternoon or a day, for me, the sort of environments that I just love are those where someone has said, okay, let's provide that kind of variety, that kind of rich variety, something that would maybe not be the equivalent of your back porch or a coffee shop or whatever, but provide something experiential that allows you to feel like you're not just in you know, a cubicle in the middle of a, of a, a big floor plate. And... Um, we see some of those in North America. I think we've seen more of those in parts of Europe and in particular in Australia. Um, but I'm really optimistic about some of the spaces I'm seeing created now um, where maybe the pendulum hasn't swung so far that we've lost balance, but people have, in fact, curated these kinds of choices so that you can have that breadth of experience within one facility you know, and, and, and really enjoy it. Great. And, and, and Karen, where, where comes to mind for you? 
Um, I, I agree once again with Ryan on many of the things that he pointed at, the biophilic design, the urban planning, um, also just really being a good citizen towards the environment and sustainability is really, really key. So um, I'm going to go back many, many years when I was first in this industry and we were working in Arkansas with a Heifer International and they were creating green roofs and collecting rainwater and doing all of these things years and years ago in order to create a really sustainable um, building and um, get back to the environment and, and the people within the community. So that paired with everything is really something that kind of excites me mm. about different organizations. I think I think that's that's really fascinating, and it's triggering something in my mind, um, and, and that is, it, you know, that beauty in in environments to work in can come in lots of different ways, and if you're in a space that's integrated where the digital world's integrated in the physical world and we can come back we can come back to what what that looks like when it's working but if it's also working within the community and it's in a sustainable way that's part of what we experience that actually um creates a great place to work i mean uh, i was showing my mother-in-law round our garden the other day and and i was pointing out that in the house that we live in, there's a wisteria that's that's a hundred years old, and and when an extension that um, was built on the house, the extension was built around the wisteria. Now it might well be that the extension's not as inverted commas nice as it could have been. It's still quite nice, but you know the point is it was built with a thought to protect this really quite sacred tree and and i think if a building has that kind of thinking going into it i think this 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 approach that you're both pointing to is is part of a a, a much broader sense of what uh a a sustaining and enlivening workplace can can look like yeah i i totally agree in fact you're you're bringing to mind several of the facilities that i get a chance to work in on a daily basis we uh herman miller created a new uh really research and design center that we called design yard uh, back in the late eighties in um, what is in essence a farm uh, environment an agricultural environment in West uh, Michigan. And the approach was contextually uh, very kind of integrated with this. Um, so the building that I work in on a regular basis has a distinctly agricultural feel, which you might not expect from a company known for modern design. Likewise, we opened up a facility that was really one of the early beta tests kind of uh, for lead certification known as Greenhouse. And um, one of the stories that we enjoy sharing is that when that facility first opened up in the 90s, it was great, except that all the employees were being stung by the paper wasps that uh, were, were resident to that local area. And so instead of spraying with chemicals the the herman miller team talked to the local farmers who said well what you really need is honeybees because honeybees <laughs> chase off paper wasps so to this day i pass by six hundred thousand honeybees as i enter into that facility i i think the larger theme here is that um 
this kind of consideration given to the environments where we work is something that people who work in these environments understand. Um, There's something visceral about walking into an environment that is all about efficiency costs and, you know, stacking people into it versus an environment that really has been considered. And if you're an organization that cares about space utilization and the the effectiveness of real estate, um, giving more attention to these things often as I mentioned in this increasingly kind of consumerized mindset of end users, often results in people using the space better. Um, it's a place where people want to be. Desirability is an imperative for facilities mm. in a world where people can work virtually anywhere. Mm. I mean, and we're talking here about the the you know the concept of the connected work workspace workplace um, on quite a number of levels. But you know, Karen, what's what's your feeling about? how to make sure that when organizations are looking at um, refashioning their physical workplaces, that the digital uh, world of work is is properly integrated into that and that these two sort of channels of activity don't sort of journey ahead in, in kind of beautiful isolation. Yeah, and it's it's really coming together in the meeting of the minds in the very, very beginning. Um, it is meeting of the minds when you're formulating the strategy and you're providing for continual change. But it's also whenever you do a project, pulling the right teammates together to begin any project and have everybody have a voice at the table. So every time you do a LEED certified building, you get everybody that's supposed to be in that project right up front. I, I totally believe that that's the way you have to do it and that the actual planning of the design, you have to incorporate um, technology thinking into it. We've had many visual visualization um, opportunities and workshops where I'm working now and where I've worked in the past where IT is very much a part of it as well as space design. So once again, planning for the future, where do we want to go? Where are we today? And helping that journey go forth together. It's it's not as hard as you think once you break down the silos. Mm. And, 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 and Ryan, what's your, what's your thinking around this? Because, you know, uh, I've had a, I've been involved in a few uh, efforts to try and better integrate the digital workplace into the physical workplace, but it's 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 slow and painful work, uh, in my experience. Yeah, it can be, and um, you know we do we do some research that gets after how our IT and facilities and real estate people working together. And I will say that just generally, one of the things I've kind of taken away is that the more established these organizations are, the more investments they've made, the tougher it can be. You know, if you've got uh, an IT organization that has its roadmap and its its standards and its investments, and you've got a real estate and facilities team that, uh, you know, has the same, um, it's very difficult to suggest that they can begin to look outside of their own domains to try to create a more integrated experience. But for me, it starts there. It's, it's having a group of people start a conversation that isn't tech specific and isn't space specific, but it's user experience uh, focused. And um, 
open up a conversation about just the various types of work that an organization knows that it needs to support and um, get people in the mindset of saying, well, there really isn't a spatial experience that's free of technology. And there isn't a technological experience that, that doesn't exist within some physical environment. And so um, we often refer to it as total user experience or integrated user mm-hmm. experience. Um, UX is not a term well known in the facilities world. Uh, I don't I don't know that a lot of the principles of interior design or interaction design are always as, as well understood in the tech world. Um, I had the good fortune of spending 18 months with the design lead uh, at uh, Skype a couple years ago, just fleshing out all of the various considerations from a technology and spatial standpoint that we each could begin to look at um, if we want to get after this more integrated user experience. Um, But I got to say, I think for a long time, the disciplines could exist very separately, right? You you basically found some real estate, you designed the environment, Uh, You came through and you added the hardware, whether that was desktop computing, desktop telephony, and there was an infrastructure thing that had to happen. But basically, the two organizations could kind of work separately. The audiovisual team could come and put up televisions, that sort of thing. Um, It's very different today uh, because uh, people are mobile. Um, You can't just predict that somebody's going to do this sort of work at their desk and this sort of work somewhere else. And as we turn our attention to the internet of things, there's really probably nothing forcing the conversation between real estate and technology leaders as, as uh, in such a pointed way as smart connected solutions, because internet of things solutions by their very nature are both technologically sensing connected networks and need a physical um, kind of place to reside. And smart connected solutions are impacting the world of real estate in very specific ways today. They're making their way into the interior of the building as well. And so um, I don't know that um, having these uh, disciplines exist separately without a more integrated conversation Ideally, before a project begins, you know, don't start the conversation when like the next headquarters has to be built. I I think it's almost a requirement. I don't know how we can continue to look at kind of the future of IoT solutions in the workplace without those two groups really having a robust relationship and dialogue. I agree with that, Ryan. And, And I also feel sometimes that the hesitancy for these two teams to work together might be because you don't know what you don't know. And just basic education of how the two work together through discovery processes, not by telling, but those visualization, those those different types of ways that you can get people to have the meeting of the minds, I I think is really important in all of this as well. So educating. Yeah, educating and getting past the vocabulary. At one point, I was uh, laughing with a colleague about the number of words that mean something completely different to the IT world than it does to the spatial world. I mean, when we talk architecture and design, those things are very different to a um, you know a software programmer than they are to an interior designer. Infrastructure, even the term programming um, in the world of spatial design means how you go through someone's kind of needs analysis. Um, so you get into a room together, it, it is a very, um, 
you know, significant barrier when you don't really understand what anybody's talking about. And the words that they're using seem to mean something to you, but something different to them. And I actually appreciate it when groups are willing to kind of laugh about it and, um, and really get brass tacks. I know that when I've had the chance of meeting with Karen and, and the team at Fidelity, that they have an IT person there and, and the conversation is not siloed. And there are, we have a variety of other customers that have really taken steps to, um, to bridge that, that divide. Uh, but yeah, you kind of at least have to be willing to say, I don't know what you're talking about when, when things get deep. Sure. And, and, and Karen, and when you're sort of trying to kind of move all of this uh, workplace strategy um, forward, and you're thinking also about just mobility, that work, work is, is now a mobile and increasingly mobile experience. Um, you know, the, the jargon would be work has left the office. Work is something you do, not somewhere you go. And, and how do you factor that in when you're, when you're trying to plan out where work happens for fidelity five, 10 years from now? Yeah, you, you do that in a variety of different ways. Um, we are creating personas and the personas have sharing ratios and that's going to get you down to, you know, the brass tactics about how much space you might need. But in, in, in doing it and doing it well, you have to combine it with, you know, what you're doing with the space and what you're doing for, as um, Ryan put, that user experience, because that's key in planning today. That's really, really key. So it's creating the neighborhoods within the workplaces where that cross-collaboration of team knowledge can happen. It's creating communities where cross-functional teams can meet and greet and be a part of. And then it's kind of layering on how people work and making sure that they have the requirements. Um, today, you have to design spaces that people want to be in so that they're coming together to meet and greet uh, for social purposes. And, and I like to say it's not a work-life balance. It's really life at work and life at home. <laughs> so, um, and, and you have to plan for that. And, and the research helps with all of that, too, looking into the future um, and, and doing scenario planning, design thinking uh, workshops about where we want to go. But everything always has to uh, fall back to where the organization as a whole wants to go, and then you can design accordingly, and, and, and you can mm. create the great spaces, be it physical or digital. And mm. I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, and I, I had on the podcast um, uh, in the last episode um, somebody called Anil um, Kumar from Verizon, and I was left with a really interesting idea. He's a, he's a usability, a UX specialist at Verizon and he said that they were thinking about trying to design a digital uh, workplace experience for their staff that starts from when they wake up to when they go to sleep that they're, they're it's not that they're trying to get them to work all the time but they're trying to think about their overall all the technology and experience that they have throughout their their kind of waking hours um, and I suppose I'm just sort of wondering in the kind of conception that you've both got you know, if we roll forward 20, 30 years, will people still come to places together physically to do work? And and how different will those um, 
uh, environments look from the ones that we experience together? It's an almost impossible question to answer, I know. But, Ryan, have a stab at it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm convinced that they will. And um, I'm a bit of a history nerd. And um, in some ways, I can't help but think about the ways people worked, uh, certainly before... Uh, the post-World War II era, but even pre-Industrial Revolution, work was pretty contextual with what what you did at home, right? If you were a farmer, you lived in, and worked on the farm. If you were a blacksmith, you probably did so in the context of where you were. But there were always, always situations, uh, certain types of work that benefited from people um, being co-located. And today, uh, I occasionally will ask uh, customers or others, um, what would prevent you from simply closing all of your facilities? I mean, the technology is good enough today that you could give everyone a killer laptop and a, you know a headset and anything else they would need to work remotely, and you could save millions of dollars on your real estate. And um, it's a it's a worthwhile exercise because when people answer that question. And I'll just give you a few examples of some of the things I hear. People talk a little bit about, well, they're concerned about uh, acculturating new employees. They're concerned about hanging on uh, to talent. They're concerned about the synchronous collaborative moments. I mean, collaboration is becoming increasingly asynchronous with the cloud, but they're concerned about the synchronous moments where people really need to get together. And they're concerned about some of the real relational uh, factors um, as it as it pertains to you know bosses and employees and th- those sort of things, and when you take a look at the reasons they say, well, I don't think we could close our facilities because these things would happen. If you take a look at those things, those should be the foundation for the design brief why they have a, mm. a building at all. The trouble is organizations just continue to build build spaces as they have in the past, and they haven't gone through that kind of reductive lean exercise to say, well, what really is the point of this? Um, mm. If I look to two um, different um, edges of, of the status quo, I think we can find some interesting things. One is I, I just spent last week in Silicon Valley. I'm fortunate to spend a lot of time there. I got a chance to get up close and personal with some of the new facilities that are being built by companies like Facebook and Apple and Oracle. And I mean, the, the tech world is heavily investing in space and and better space. And um, they're the very ones that could enable people to work from anywhere. And so clearly, I think the, the best minds within the technology world understand that there's value in the physical space. The other mm-hmm. place I might look to is Sydney. And I, I think, Paul, you and I have talked about this before, but I, you know, we are at, at Herman Miller continuing uh, to, to focus uh, our global research efforts in a variety of areas. But what's happening in Sydney has been kind of an interesting um perhaps proxy for what we're seeing in the rest of the world. Um, the notion of activity-based work, meaning you can work wherever you know you want to uh, within an environment, is something they adopted a long time ago. Many organizations went paperless and adopted unified communications platforms very early. I was talking with um, the real estate leader at uh, a large financial institution in Sydney not too long ago who said, the technology can help us find each other. When we have new employees start, we give them you know, their laptops, their apps, whatever they need to be productive, and we tell them, go sit with your friends. Um, <laughs> and 
the idea there was that that organization believed that by being co-located with people that you really like, with people that you really trust, that productivity increased, that um, they could hang on to uh, employees longer, that people felt a much greater emotional bond with their employer because their daily work experience was was with people they so enjoyed. And so this doesn't paint, uh, you know, an exact picture of the future, but I think there's enough indicators that there's value in these spaces mm-hmm. that they'll continue to exist. I just think we should probably agree that they aren't going to look much like the offices that were built 20 years ago are going to look. And I'm not even sure we'll always call them offices, but yeah, there will be a physical environment for co- co-located work. Sure. And, uh, and Karen, what's, what's, what's your take on your, the answer to the question about, what that future place of work's going to look like and and in the future yeah i um I have seen a trend in organizations recently actually wanting their employees to come back to the physical workplace um, and whether that's good, bad, or indifferent i i I don't know, but I know the reason is is they want that mingling of the minds. They they want that quick catalyzing connections to happen that spur, you know, different innovations and things like that. But I couldn't agree more with Ryan in that it will morph and and technology will tell us where people are. Um, I do believe that human nature will will also um, kind of precede any kind of destruction of the workplace. In other words, I, I believe that human beings really like to be connected with others in person quite a bit. And I think the physical world can get a lot of the knowledge transfer and work done a little bit more easily today than the digital but probably the digital might catch up, but it's not there yet. It, it's not mm. seamless yet. Mm. Fascinating. And it, it strikes me that we're in a period of intense experimentation with with work, what it means, how we do it, where it's located. And, you know, as you mentioned, um, Ryan, you, you love history um, I, I really love referencing history as well. And one of the things that I think about is, you, you know, go back to moving from that agricultural age into the industrial age, you know, the, the, the turmoil, the revolution, the upheaval um, and the experimentation. But um, it's been a fascinating conversation with, with both of you. And I, I just really want to thank both of you so much for your um, such intelligent and thoughtful uh, an insightful contribution. So thank you so much, Karen. Um, Karen Gill, uh, Global Workplace Strategy Vice President at Fidelity. Um, and, and also to you, Ryan, Ryan Anderson, Director of Product and Portfolio Strategy at Herman Miller. And, and, and thank you so much, Karen and Ryan. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions as they advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces 
through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. If you want more information about DWG, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. The previous episode all about real life situations and usability with Paul Boag and Anil Kumar is one of our most popular episodes and you can subscribe to that and listen to that if you go to the link. And this is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.